Let us return to the portion of God's word that we read together from the Old Testament, the second book of Kings, chapter 6. We may take as our text this morning, as the Lord would be pleased to help us, verses 5 and 6. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fill it? And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick and cast it thither, and the iron did swim. These words seeking the Lord's help in our meditation. We would wish to consider this event in verses 1 to 7 as a whole under the title, Ordinary Troubles, Extraordinary God. Ordinary troubles, extraordinary God. This event takes place in the midst of momentous and memorable events in the redemptive history of the children of Israel. The chapter before contains the wonderful account of the healing and conversion of Naaman the leper. I'm sure the children are very well acquainted with that particular story. After this event, and in the latter half of the chapter, we hear of the famine in Samaria. We see Ben-Hadad coming down to besiege Samaria. And in the middle of it, we have this seemingly inconsequential event happening to this unnamed person, one of the sons of the prophets. And so we see immediately that our great God, the creator God, is indeed the God of the great events of the universe, the great events of history, all national activity, international affairs, and the workings of the universe are in his omnipotent hand. But we see that our God is also intimately concerned and personally knows and indeed affectionately regards every single trouble, every single trial, and every single one of his blood-bought people. There is nothing too small in your life that our great God cannot concern himself with. And this unnamed servant had a very personal trouble It was something that grieved him terribly, that that threw him into great perplexity. And the loss of this axe head when it fell into the water was unknown to anyone else. Naaman didn't know about it. Gehazi, his servant, didn't know about it. Ben-Hadad and all the Syrians and the Sumerians, they didn't know anything about it. But the world stopped for this man. This was a great trouble for him. And God knew. God had ordained this axe head to fall. This was his providence. And God was ruling. And God was overruling. And God was dealing with this man as his need required. An old minister used to say, God deals with us in our individuality, and in our personality. 
and he deals with us even in our sorest troubles, in our sorest afflictions, as those who are the apple of his eye. And if his people are the apple of his eye, and they are, is it too small a thing for the Lord to concern himself with? So whatever troubles you bear this morning, whether it be the troubles of a of a crofter or a farmer, they're precious to God. The concerns of the lonely widow or the lonely widower or the bereaved parent, they are precious to God. The daily challenges of those who work in a hostile world, whether that be as nurses or teachers or doctors or wherever, they are precious to God. So we want to look at this text, which may seem like an ordinary, everyday occurrence that an extraordinary God helped this man through. The iron did swim. Something extraordinary. Something that the man could not have done himself. Our God delivered him from his troubles. So we want to look at three things regarding this incident. Firstly, God's people diligently labor. God's people diligently labor. Verse 1 tells us that this concerns one of the sons of the prophets. We believe these to be disciples, pupils, or perhaps students of Elisha and the other prophets. They loved Elisha's God. They loved Jehovah. And they had dedicated themselves to following Elisha's example to be of use for God in Israel. Now, we're not sure where this school was, but it's reasonable to presume that it was within a reasonable distance of the River Jordan where abundant trees grew. And so the context of our text is that the sons of the prophets are in too small an accommodation. It's become restrictive. It is too straight for us, means too narrow, too tight. And demonstrating a appropriate deference to the prophet, to Elisha, they ask his permission. Can we build something bigger? Can we build something more suitable to our needs? Nothing excessive, nothing lavish, but appropriate to build modest accommodation that meets their needs. And Delisha grants them their request at the end of verse 2. He answered, go ye. They go with the prophet's blessing. It's always good to have the Lord's blessing in any of our labors, whether that's labors for the church or whether that's our labors in the world. And they performed this work themselves. It was prudent. It was cost-effective. They didn't hire expensive workmen. They didn't build grand materials like cedar wood or pillars of gold or marble, just simple beams. Simple wooden beams from Jordan to build something suitable for them, suitable within their needs that wasn't going to be ostentatious. It's a bit like perhaps our, our seminary students. 
going out to build something while their primary work is being under religious tutelage and spiritual guidance, they're not averse to getting their hands dirty. They're not averse to picking up an axe, picking up a hammer, doing some manual labor. It wasn't beneath them. Note that lowly attitude. Nothing is beneath any of the Lord's people when they are diligently laboring for the Lord. What can we render to him? Even if it means getting our hands dirty. And God blesses this. God blesses this modest, humble diligence. But we see the wisdom of these sons of the prophets, the the people of the Lord, diligently laboring. They're not content just with the blessing. They crave in verse 3, O Elisha, come with us. Come with us while we're undertaking this work. Don't leave us alone. Shows discernment. It shows wisdom that they, they don't trust themselves. They don't trust themselves while they are laboring to also care for their souls. They were worried that they would become like Martha's, cumbered about and forget their main purpose, which was to learn of God and be exercised in spiritual things. They demonstrated wisdom. They demonstrated experience. Elisha would keep them on the right path. Elisha would guide them. They would have the right balance between work, labor, and spiritual devotions. Everything in its proper place. How often when we undertake projects, do we forget at the beginning to commit them to the Lord and then we get so involved with our labors that we forget to ask the Lord's help? The sons of the prophets show us the wisdom in taking the prophet with them. And this loss took place as we see When the sons of the prophets were involved in diligent labor, we might say they were in the path of duty. They were in the path of obedience. The work was for the Lord. They had spiritual guidance while they were performing the work. But that did not exempt them from the trials and the troubles that afflict the just. In number many be. We should never expect that just because we are on the path of obedience, that we are doing everything that we can for the benefit of the Lord's cause, that we will ever escape trials and tribulations. You are diligently laboring to build a new man's. We in Alt Bay are diligently laboring to try and complete the building of a a new accommodation, a new church building. Are we committing these things while we diligently labor? Are we committing them sufficiently to the Lord? And those who cannot physically labor, they labor in prayer. They labor in guidance. They, they like Elisha, have a spiritual oversight. Because that's the priority of our labors, isn't it, for the Lord's people? Peter tells us that. 
giving all diligence, add. Add to your faith. Build upon your faith. Labor in adding to your faith virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience. That's the things we should be diligently laboring in. But we see, secondly, while this diligent labor was going on, God's servant suffers loss. God's people diligently labor. God's servant suffers loss. What a grievous providence. What a distressing event. This man was clearly desperate to help in the Lord's cause. He was desperate to help in the building work. And he had no tools. He had no axe for himself to cut down these beams, to cut down these trees for the new building. So we're told in verse 5, he borrows one, for it was borrowed. It literally means in the Hebrew, he begged. Whoever owned this axe head was perhaps a little reluctant to give it to an unskilled worker to chop down trees, a highly valuable possession, a highly valuable tool. The peasant workers of the day, they all wouldn't have an iron axe, a hatchet. But this man, so keen was he to be getting involved with the building of this new accommodation that he went and begged. This man was insistent. His passion and his desire would appear to have won over whoever he was asking the lender. And he secured a temporary use of this axe for chopping down trees and building this new accommodation. But then, as verse 5 tells us, as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. It sank without trace. Look at his cry. Alas, alas, woe is me. This is a disaster. I can't afford to reinstate the lender. This man's in absolute straits. He's, he's beside himself. He's crestfallen and devastated. Why is, he, why is he in such distress? Well, there's perhaps three reasons. First of all, he was an honest, hardworking man. Secondly, he was, he was distressed because now he can't contribute. He can no longer help. He's lost the tools, so he can no longer help in the building work. But thirdly, he is distressed because he cannot afford to recompense the lender. He cannot afford to give back to the one he lent the axe from the monetary value of the axe. And the, the Hebrew conveys a, a deep expression of pain. He's pained. You can imagine the picture. He sees the axe head falling off the shaft. Scripture doesn't tell us, but perhaps reaching out to cling to it, and it slips away and sinks deeper and deeper into the Jordan, disappears in the silt, lost without trace. He didn't shrug it off as a light thing. 
This was a cataclysmic loss for an ordinary servant of the Lord. And as we said, as we began, there were far greater events taking place in the history of the children of Israel. Syrians, Ben-Hadad, Naaman. But there was nothing more important in this man's life at this precise moment in time. He saw the axe head sinking and cried in anguish, Alas! Woe is me! Distress! This trouble has been visited upon me! But even in his distress, he exhibits an outstanding example of simple faith. Who does he direct his cry to? Not one of his fellow workers. He directs it to the prophet. Alas, master! Elisha would be able to help. Elisha is the right person to cry to. This man knows his need. This man knows the depth of the predicament he is in, the trouble that he is in, and he knows that Elisha serves a great God, an extraordinary God. So he turns to Elisha and says, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. No one else can help him, only the prophet of God. And we may look at this incident and think, well, it's only an axe. It's only an axe head. What's the fuss? And perhaps as Christians, we have a tendency to do that with other people's providences. And so I think the application for us, the learning point for us is never underestimate someone else's providence. What may bring them to the brink of despair like this man, you might be able to take in your stride. And what brings you to the brink of despair, they might be able to take in their stride. Individual troubles for individual Christians according to their need. In the hand of an extraordinary God, particular troubles tailor-made for their particular circumstances. And a true trial will always bring this cry. Alas, master, but master with a capital M. Whenever you see your axe head falling into the water, that's your cry. Alas, master. It's lost. It's gone. A cry of anguish, as we've sang in every one of the psalms we've sang this morning, in distress, crying to our master, crying to God. We will conclude in the beautiful words of Psalm 34. This poor man cried. God heard and saved him from all his distresses. It could be something small. It could be something great. But nothing too small or great that you cannot cry to our great God, Alas, Lord, I'm in straits. I'm at the end of myself. And it may be the greatest affliction to us 
but it is nothing to our God to help, whether it was with many or with few. So when you go through your ordinary troubles, perhaps some of you are going through some of these ordinary troubles and you're crying, alas, master, day after day. Do you remember that you're crying to an extraordinary God? To whom else can we go? We certainly can go to man. Vain is the help of man. Through God, we shall do valiantly. Imitate the simple, obedient, instinctive faith of this man. He turned to the prophet immediately and cried to him, we must learn to turn to God immediately and cry, alas, Lord, this is my trouble. Thou art my only help. So when this cry was uttered to Elisha, we see thirdly and finally, God restores in divine love. God's people diligently labor. God's servant suffers loss. And God restores in divine love. We see firstly the love of Elisha. The loving response to this ordinary man's cry for help in his distress. He doesn't ridicule. He doesn't diminish the man's pain. He doesn't try to undermine him. He doesn't try to embarrass him. He doesn't tell him to snap out of it. He doesn't say, well, you think you've got problems. Wait till I tell you what's going on in my life. Elisha understands and demonstrates compassion and love that this man is at the end of himself in anguish. And that's enough for Elisha. That's enough for Elisha to lend his ear. Didn't matter what anyone else thought. Elisha knew that this man was in pain. How was it to be restored? How was this axe head lost in the silt of the River Jordan, to be restored. Well, Elisha served an extraordinary God who does extraordinary things. Gently, compassionately, lovingly, Elisha says to him, where fell it? Simple. Where is it? Where did you last see it? Show me. Immediately conveys to this man in his anguish, I'm willing to help. And not only am I willing to help, I'm ready to help. I understand your great anxiety. I can be touched with your anxiety. You've turned to me in faith for help, and that will not be misplaced. That faith will be rewarded. Elisha acts to restore. He, he cuts down the stick. We have the account there. He, he cuts a new stick. He casts it carefully into the place where the axe head was lost. And as they watch together, the axe, contrary to its natural composition, a miraculous work of our extraordinary God, emerges from the silt and floats to the top of the water, the surface of the water. The word there means it flows, it overflows, it swims to the top of the water, attaches itself to the stick, 
The simple words, the simple instruction that Elisha gives the servant of God in verse 7, take it up to thee. Imagine. Not only is the axe head at the surface of the water, it's attached itself to the shaft, and he now has an instruction, take it. Take it up. Look at his response, simple faith. He puts out his hand, and he took it. An extraordinary miracle of God for someone who was at their end of themselves and cried, alas, master. And we're not told that anyone else was involved in this incident. Scripture doesn't record that for us. It appears to us that there were only two people who knew of this. Elisha and the man who lost this accent, a private transaction. What relief, what joy, relatively instantaneous for this man, but perhaps not so instantaneous for the Lord's people today in their own trials, their own troubles, their own afflictions. You may have to cry, alas, master, longer than this man did. But the Lord's promise is he will restore. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. He's no longer crying, alas, master. He's crying, oh, that men to the Lord would give praise for his goodness then and for his works of wonder done among the sons of men. Do you have a sunken axe head this morning? All seems lost. Well, cry to your master in heaven. He's far greater than Elisha. Elisha was only a servant of this great God. The tears, the anguish, the cries, are they not all in his bottle? Does he not promise my soul he doth restore again? It may only be between you and the Lord. It may be a trouble that only you know of, that you have been carrying and crying, alas, Master. But perhaps that's what makes it an even greater display of God's restoring love, when only you know about it. We live in a day and an age where apparently every single thing we do in our lives we must reveal and tell people about. Well, the Lord's people fall their knees and give thanks to God for the private deliverances that they have. Exercise simple faith. Take your trial, take your trouble, take your sunken axe head and see whether or not God will be true to his promise to restore in divine love. As you look back on your Christian lives, can you not see many times when the Lord caused your iron to swim? When you've been overwhelmed and God's love and God's care has been so obvious to you, leaving you overwhelmed and speechless. 
Perhaps it's been in, in family matters, perhaps your health, perhaps hospital appointments, in operations, job applications, studying at university or college. But there's one thing for certain. If these troubles come upon you when you are in the path of duty, God has promised always to be with his people in the path of obedience. And every trial, regardless of how hard it may be, turns into a great blessing when the Lord's people can see God's deliverance in it, when they can see God's hand making their irons to swim. And that's how the Lord's people glorify God, glorifying him by trusting in him for the small, everyday things in our lives. And we say in closing, perhaps it's not an axe head that's lost. Perhaps it's something more precious. Perhaps it's a lost soul that you have been crying for, alas, master. It's lost. His soul is lost. Her soul is lost. A wife. A husband, a son, a daughter. Well, if our extraordinary God can make an iron axe head swim, he can take a lost sinner from the filth and the silt and the plague of sin and set their feet upon a rock. Do you believe it? Do you cry in faith for your lost loved ones, lost without trace in the filth of the world? Cry, alas, master. Thou can make an iron axe head swim. Then make that iron heart of that dead sinner swim towards thee. Ordinary troubles or an extraordinary God. Let us unite our hearts together in prayer. Let us pray. Forgive us for our small views of thee. Nothing is impossible with God. But we so often limit thee because of the poverty of our own faith and the limits of our own intellect. May we remember the promises in thy word. Thou art able to do all things. We have a great high priest who is touched with the feeling of his people's infirmities, everyone who prays for them at thy right hand that their faith fail not. And we can set up many Ebenezers as we look back on our lives and we can say here and here and here and here the Lord hath helped us. And because thou art immutable, thou wilt continue to be faithful to thy covenant. Thou wilt continue to deliver thy people. And we pray, O Lord, that thou would forgive our feeble faith, 
and be more thankful that thou dost not only bear with us, but that thou always bear us up. Part us with thy blessing, teach us to cast our cares upon thee, for thou carest for us. Forgive our sins for Jesus' sake. Amen.